Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Hey there, SLP. This month, Monica and I are diving into all things phonological awareness. So in episode 98, we did a quick review of what phonological awareness is, and we're going to spend the rest of the month talking about assessment, goals, treatment ideas, all sorts of good stuff. So without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. So now let's dive into some treatment strategies and what this could look like. You've shared some ideas already, but do you have any other thoughts on what we can do in terms of treatment strategies? Yeah. So the way that I usually incorporate phonological awareness is right when I'm first introducing that sound. And I think it helps to do a couple of these to see like what helps them. So a lot of times, like I'll just have a dry erase board or we might have like crowns or markers or whatever they think is fun. You can do it with paint. I've seen teachers do it with like shaving cream on the table. Like that's really fun. And then a nice way to shake up doing the usual like hundred trials too, and just to work it into teaching and then to also to work it into when they're having a hard time saying that, and then you want extra strategies for it. So it's a really good, not backup, but a really good place to like revisit if they're having a really hard time with that. With my younger students, we work on a lot of phonemic awareness stuff. So what is the very first sound? So like identifying the first sound and the last sound, or can you tell me which words all start with your target sound? So especially for those kids who are really frustrated, we've all been working on eliciting a K sound and you're just like, (laughs) they can look for all of the words that have that K sound. So you can still be working on them having that auditory discrimination for that sound especially if they're getting really, really frustrated and they're really, really aware of that error, you can back up into doing some of these phonological awareness activities so you're still working on it and still working on those skills, but they need a little bit of a break from trying to work on doing that sound because that frustration level is ramping up. So that's where I'll work it in for that. And it's super interesting too, because the Gillen study that I shared at the beginning, like that's all that they did Like they didn't do a ton of production stuff. The actual production of the sound improved. So it feels like a break to them for sure. And it's a way to increase their success and reduce their level of frustration. But we're still doing work when we're doing with that. It's super cool how that ends up. It's fascinating how the brain works. I recently had a student who we were working on the K sound and he was already in kindergarten and was so painfully aware of these sounds, the sound error, and like was so motivated to do it. And we worked on so much auditory discrimination, identifying those sounds, doing rhyming words. Do you hear it in the beginning of the sound? Do you hear it at the end of that sound? And so we could do that for all of the different positions. And once he actually was able to do that sound, it generalized to almost sentences very quickly. And I was very shocked. (laughs) It's like, we didn't have this sound two months ago. But 
we had been working on all of those skills for a couple months before he was making that sounds. Like I probably shouldn't have been as surprised because we had more working on it that whole time. But you know, you're with there with that student with their frustration of not being able to make it. But I think that definitely is a case where it really, really helped all of those different phonological awareness things. The teacher noticed as well. I think that happened a lot faster than when you were trying to teach some of the other kids. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you had like a super concrete example to drive that home to. Super helpful. So what else do we have? I could probably just go through some of the activities down the list of the different type of phonological awareness things and then some resources. Like there's one from University of Florida's Literacy Institute, I think. And it's just like a full list. It goes from like, they're just phonological awareness activities. So like a word list, a syllable level list, onset rhyme activities, phoneme level activities. And a lot of these two are like multi-sensory. So like children hopping once for each like syllable, being able to count out the syllables using like bead strings, being able to toss a bean bag for onset and rhyme. So it's got a lot of these like little fun activities that could get them like up and moving, rhyming bingo, sound detective. So all the students have to like listen for which word and the sound for the word in the list that contains that sound. So I'll do that with books a lot. So it'll be like, you are the detective for the T sound. You're the detective for the CH sound. And so that's fun for them too. I Spy it's definitely got a lot of different ideas. And then there is also one from the Children's Learning Institute at the University of Texas. And it's just a long list of, I think they're just like worksheets for all the different types of phonological awareness. If you don't know where to start and you just want like a big resource for it. So that one was really neat. And they're free. That is so cool. They give like different instructions. They even have like little cards and stuff that you can use. Some of the ones that I do during speech sound practice, which is also really good to do during like mixed groups too. Like if you have someone working on vocabulary, they can do these things with the vocabulary word that you're maybe working on describing that day or something. So for syllable awareness, we'll just clap out how many syllables there are. And then I do try to check in with the teacher to see what specific movement they do in class to do some of these. So like some teachers, they count down their arm or they blend like a certain way. So I do try to do the same thing. But I mean, I've been working with the same teachers for like six years now. So it's a little bit easier for me. But maybe if you're new at a site, it's a good, easy way to get a conversation going about different ways to collaborate because that can be a really tricky relationship sometimes to navigate with collaborating with certain teachers, rhyme awareness and production. Like we have so many minimal pairs, right? All of the minimal pairs or multiple oppositions, maximal oppositions, all of those are going to be different rhyming pairs. So you don't have to have extra materials. You're just using the ones that you have. You're just adding maybe a little bit of an extra verbal instruction. Like, you know, did you hear those two? How are they the same? How are they different? And then just pointing out that awareness for alliteration, kind of what we are talking about to be able to, we're going to put all of these out on the table. I want 
you guys to find all the ones that start with the T sound or whatever, you know, they're doing. So like the kids feel like it's a game and it's super fun, but we're working on phonological awareness. Onset and rhyme. I don't necessarily work on this all the time in speech sessions, but it's just breaking it down into the beginning part and the end part. So like, what's the beginning of cat? What's the end sound? What's that? It's at. And then putting it together would be the blending it back in. Initial and final sound segmentations. Like what's the first sound and what's the final sound? If kids are into trains, which so many of them are, that helps too as a visual. You know, like where's the fun of this one? Where's the engine? Where's the caboose of the sound? So kids have a lot. But if you're also prompting too for kids, like, oh, what was that? first sound supposed to be? What did we talk about? And just working in that way too helps with that independence and then being able to self-reflect on what it is. And then just like so much of that auditory discrimination is happening with that. So that one, I feel like I do the most. So if we're going over our target words for that session, then I'll ask, what is the first sound in that one? What is the last sound? Like Especially for kids who are fronting and they tend to switch sounds up a lot. That helps a lot for that. I feel like maybe just because I have only had a couple fronting kids this year. So that's like really at the front of my mind, but that helped a lot. Blending sounds into words. I don't do that as much or segmenting words into sounds. So like blending sounds would be like, if I say, oh, what word is that? And then have to say snow. Or segmenting would be like the opposite of that. I do a lot of deleting and manipulating sounds. So if I say snail and you have to add your S sound, what does that make? And then I would have to say snail. And then we might incorporate different ones. If you don't have to work on one of these at a time, then it would be like, oh, what was that front sound? That was your S sound, right? And then you can use these to give like really specific feedback as well. Instead of like good sound, it's like, oh, you put on your front sound, you put on your S or you put all of those sounds together really nicely. You blended those together to make snail. So that's definitely something else that I use it for is just to give that really specific feedback as well. Yeah. And you touched on this a little bit already, but you just listed a bunch of different activities that we could possibly be doing. So can you give a couple examples of which of these you would incorporate? Like with your student or one of your students who was fronting, would you do syllable awareness and rhyme awareness and initial and final? Like, would you put it into a certain hierarchy and only work on a couple? Or how do you navigate that? I'm sure there is probably a specific hierarchy, but I've just worked it in the way that's worked over the years. What's the easiest? So like, I think I'll just do like an example. So say we're going to work on the word cab and this one, they are fronting to tab. So then I'll be like, okay, let's write the word. And then if we have like a contrasting picture between cab and tab, that works even better. If they can't write it, I'll write it first and then they'll trace it. So as we do that, we're like, okay, what's the front sound? Oh, this one, the front sound is a T. Can you make that sound? Right? What does your tongue do? It's like, I hear a tab, right? What's the second part? Wait, is that ab? Now this one is cab. 
What's the front sound for this one? It's a K. And where do we make that sound? In our throat, right? And then what does your tongue do? Does your tongue go up for cab? Like, no, it doesn't, huh? Right? It stays down. So that's something that happens that's different when between our K sound and our T sound. Then we do the rhyme. So like, can you hear it? Tab, cab, that N sound is the same, but our front sounds are different, right? Our T goes up, our tongue goes up behind our teeth. And for cab, right, our sound is in our throat and our tongue does not go up like that. So that might be something that different parts of that I come back to that they have a hard time with. Like if they have a hard time with their tongue, we can work that in. And then we can talk about how that makes a different front sound. But that's generally how it sounds like. So being able to like go through and list out specifically how I do some of this stuff, it was just like one of those things like you do it and you get so used to just doing all of those, breaking it down and explaining it was really interesting to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But that was really helpful in just getting one example of what that could look like and how it could be incorporated. We definitely want to check with our scope of practice and what makes sense But a lot of the articles, like I know the Gillen one that I mentioned at the very beginning, they kind of describe their intervention. And a lot of the different resources that we shared describe how they implemented that. So we can definitely get some more inspiration from there. But yeah, that was super helpful. And just again, emphasizing that we can use whatever words we're already working on And then we can get feedback from the teacher or the reading specialist or the RTA, whoever is working on that with the student, I'm sure they would have recommendations and they can help us figure out that hierarchy or what they need the most support in and really leaning on their expertise to like, okay, we really need to work on some syllables before we can do that deletion or whatever it may be. So yeah, I think that's super helpful. So I feel like we've got some really good strategies and activity ideas that we can use in therapy. Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.